0: The whole notion that you run a government like you run a household and you actually have to earn tax revenue to even be able to spend and otherwise you have to, you know, uh, uh, do austerity is, is a complete myth. Governments create money all the time. We do that for war. I mean, look at what happened in Germany recently overnight. They created 100 billion euros for the war effort. So why do we actually treat our social problems around health, around public education, public transport, climate change as urgently as we treat climate? And then use tax to redistribute in a progressive way, not a regressive way, and to steer the economy to be more inclusive and sustainable. That should be the question, not nitpicking on one number. Welcome
1: to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from? And where did it? Go? Yeah, she wants us to look at uh, at Germany. Don't you dare look at Germany in historical past, <laughs> namely Weimar Germany, woman. Goodness gracious. I mean, this is the reason that MMT has to be fought. I mean, there is a a real effort to indoctrinate the next generation of kids coming out of academia. Think about how horrifying that is. Academia. And they're coming out with this belief that you don't need to worry about money printing. They are wrong. Empirically, historically, factually, economically, entirely. They're wrong. So, don't allow them to get away with this lunacy. It will result in financial ruin, I assure you. This is math, okay? This is not some, like, philosophical debate. You print a crazy amount of paper fiat, you will have a hyperinflationary death spiral. And if she wants to look at Germany in recent history, let's flash back to 100 years earlier. Huh? Goodness gracious. These people make me so, so concerned for our future. Um, I uh, I do want to, uh, this is a guest show this week, or, or today. Um, I'm going to have on Scott from Fabian Liberty, as well as Keith Knight from Don't Tread on Anyone. Great discussion between those two brilliant guys. Uh, we basically just, that's more of a philosophy discussion and debate. And I think you'll enjoy that a lot. But before we do, the big breaking story of the day is that Tucker Carlson was fed the 40,000 hours of footage from January 6th uh, from Speaker McCarthy. And he is obviously selectively uh, demonstrating some of the counter narrative to the propagandistic push that it was a violent insurrection and everybody involved was a terrorist and yada, yada, yada. Um, And that police were killed on that day, all false. Uh, There was some violence, that's not false, Uh, but you know, (laughs) <laughs> the narrative is just crumbling and it's it's a, a beautiful thing to see. So before I, I have my guest come on, I want to show you guys a clip from from my favorite senator and yours, Chucky Schuma. He went down the Senate floor this morning to condemn Tucker Carlson. Oh goodness gracious. This is gonna be this is gonna be painful. I may not watch the whole thing, but he says some crazy stuff uh, that I think needs to be addressed. So
2: here we go. S nine. Millions of Americans tuned in to one of the most shameful hours we have ever seen on cable television. With contempt for the facts, disregard of the risks, and knowing full well he was lying, lying to his audience, Fox News host Tucker Carlson ran a lengthy segment last night arguing the January 6th Capitol attack was not a violent insurrection. By diving deep into the waters of conspiracy and cherry-picking from thousands of hours of security footage, Mr. Carlson told the bold-faced lie that the Capitol attack, which we all saw with our own eyes, was somehow not an attack at all. He tried to argue it was nothing more than a peaceful sightseeing tour. Can you imagine? A nonviolent demonstration a perfectly fine and appropriate instance of people expressing their opinion.
1: What I find fascinating about this is like, it's clear, I mean, first off, Tucker didn't say that it was not at all violent. He was actually clear that there was some violence. So uh, Schumer's lying. But what I do find interesting is the divide here in if you're not completely psychologically manipulated by the media, uh, to remember way back to the summer of 2020, the summer of love, when there was Uh, lots of peaceful protesting on behalf of police brutality and Black Lives Matter. And then there was also some very, very violent rioting. And not surprisingly, the Schumers of the world, the Democrats, broadly, uh, defended it consistently. So much so that they were actually putting together fundraising events to bail out some of the people that had been arrested during those riots. And some of which were violent people. Uh, so the the hypocrisy from the left on this one is actually far more galling than anything that you could say negative about Tucker Carlson. I think Tucker Carlson's reporting on this was vitally important. Uh, it, it is unfortunate that McCarthy was only willing to give that footage to Tucker. I wish it had just been deployed to the people so that we could parse it ourselves, but I'll take what I can get. I mean, the alternative is this Banana Republic show trial which is what the January 6th hearings had been up until this point, up until literally yesterday. Uh, and we now have hard evidence, in fact, that much much of what we were told about that day was a lie, as I've been saying for quite some time and as I'm sure many of you had already suspected. Uh, but this is this is really wild that they're going to make it sound as if, you know, Tucker is now framing this as a totally peaceful protest, which he's not. And January 6th was in fact a violent insurrection, which it wasn't an insurrection. And then on top of that, also the Black Lives Matter violent protests that destroyed countless cities for months. And many of the people were not prosecuted. Uh, that's, that's not violent. That is civil discourse. I mean, it's, it's just maddening.
2: I, so many others who were here in the Capitol and millions and millions of Americans are just furious Tucker Carlson and Kevin McCarthy today. Many of my staff were here at the Capitol on January 6th. Their lives were put in danger, as were the lives of many of my colleagues, as well as police, maintenance staff, reporters, countless others. At one point, I was within 30 feet of the rioters. One of them who I was told shouted out, let's get him
1: interesting little lie there you were within 30 feet of him and you were told he said let's get him you were 30 feet away and you didn't hear it yourself fascinating
2: before my detail pulled me away and we ran in the other direction to say january 6 was not violent is a lie a lie pure and simple i don't think i've ever seen a primetime cable news anchor manipulate his viewers the way Mr. Carlson did last night.
1: Astonishing. Just an astonishing statement after every news channel manipulated every man, woman, and child in this country for two-plus years straight when it came to the fear-mongering about COVID. Oh, how about the manipulation when it comes to Ukraine and the escalation into World War III? Any concerns about that? No, there's no concerns about any of the manipulation that comes from his media establishment, which is basically... Everyone on TV, except for Tucker Carlson.
2: I don't think I've ever seen an anchor treat the American people and American democracy with such disdain. And he's going to come back tonight with another segment. Fox News should tell him not to. Fox News, Rupert Murdoch, tell Carlson not to run a second segment of lies. You know it's a lie. You've admitted it's a lie
1: when when did they admit that it was a lie it's fascinating uh, also i mean this is the coercive pressure that exists from our political establishment their their comfortability with demanding suppression of a free press overtly is jaw dropping it's galling and they continue to do it the twitter leaks didn't have one iota of impact on these people because they believe they're above the law they believe that they can they can browbeat and threaten private enterprise with whatever he's implying, because obviously he's got a lot of power as a senator. He's implying a threat to Rupert Mur- Murdoch and Fox News. Now, you can hate Fox News all you want. I don't really care. I hate CNN and MSNBC. But if Donald Trump were to get up there and threaten them with... It, you know, masked threats, I should say. Um, I would be speaking out against it. It's not okay for them to actually uh, use their p- position of power and authority to tell the press that they should stop covering a story. And that's what he's doing here.
2: And Speaker McCarthy is every bit as culpable as Mr. Carlson. Speaker McCarthy's decision to share security footage with Fox. Looked like a mistake from the very beginning, but after last night, it looks like a disaster. Speaker McCarthy has played a treacherous, a treacherous game by catering to the hard right. He's enabled the big lie and has further eroded away at our precious democracy. When people don't believe elections are on the level, That's the beginning of the end of this bold experiment in democracy that has gone on for more than 200 years.
1: Well, then you might want to go out of your way to uh, convince the American people that their elections are on the level as opposed to dismissing their genuine concerns. What a concept. Listen to your constituents, you piece of shit.
2: It's all the more shameful because Speaker McCarthy knows precisely what kind of customer Mr. Carlson is. He's not surprised by this outcome. What a low point for Speaker McCarthy. What a low point for Fox News. As reporting on the Dominion lawsuit shows, Mr. Carlson had no problem admitting behind the scenes that the big lie is pure garbage. When Sidney Powell went on the air to push the stolen election narrative, Mr. Carlson told fellow anchor anchor Laura Ingram that Sidney Powell is lying his words by the deposition. Mr. Carlson's own producer texted him that quote, I don't think there is evidence of voter fraud that swung the election. They know, they know full well they've been lying and they're doing it anyway. We all, Americans of all types and stripes and corners of this country, Democrats, Republicans, independents, need to take a stand and call out Mr. Carlson's conduct for what it is, a dangerous, n- unforgivable attempt to destabilize our democracy and rewrite the history of the worst attack on our Constitution since the Civil War. <laughs> it's an insult to every police officer who is on the scene that terrible, fearful day. It's an insult.
1: Is it not an insult to lie and say that Brian Sicknick, who was in fact a Trump supporter, was murdered by Trump supporters when he was not? Is that not a a more egregious slight to somebody, their legacy now being one that you hold up on a fictitious narrative? I would say that's far more insulting than just running some of the additional footage which you tried to hide from us for two straight years.
2: To the memory of every single person who perished in connection to the attack. Especially to the memory of Brian Sicknick. (sighs) Nonviolent? Ask the Sicknick family.
1: Yeah, you can ask the Sicknick family, or you can ask the prosecutors who didn't charge anybody with murder. How about that? Maybe we should ask them, not the family, who is grieving, undoubtedly.
2: It makes me sick just thinking about what his family must be going through this morning. (laughs) Oh my god. And it's an insult to everyone who cares about our democracy and wishes to preserve the dream of our founders in our day, in our age.
1: Please don't ever reference the founders, none of which would share even a fraction of your belief system. It's so unbelievably insulting.
2: I hope every member of this chamber will call out Fox and Mr. Carlson for defending the insurrectionists. And again, I am disappointed and angered in Speaker McCarthy's decision to share sensitive security footage with Mr. Carlson. Speaker McCarthy was here that day. He knows what actually happened. His staff and members suffered like everyone else, but he chose cheap, political expediency over truth and preservation of democracy consider for a moment that that his argument here is that keeping
1: the footage from that day from the american people is in fact a threat to the truth do you understand the newspeak orwellian inverted world that they're trying to make you believe in i hope it's clear At some point, I hope you see it crystal clear. They want censorship and they want obfuscation and they want secrecy to keep you from knowing the truth of what occurred on that day. And I think that given the narrative that they've attempted to propagate about it being an insurrection and a threat on democracy and the worst day since the Civil War, that we ought to know the actual truth. And you had hearings for months
2: where you hid The truth, clearly. I condemn Mr. Carlson for siding with the enemies of democracy. I strongly condemn Speaker McCarthy's actions and fiercely oppose his decision to share this footage with Carlson. I urge Fox News to order Carlson to cease propagating the big lie on his network and to level with their viewers about the truth, the truth. Behind the efforts to mislead the public. Conduct like theirs is just asking for another January 6th.
1: Look, man, if if the truth brings about another January 6th, that's on you. We should be given the full footage. If you don't want Tucker Carlson to be cherry picking it, have it distributed broadly. Send it to everyone. Just give it to me. (laughs) <laughs> give it to, give it to the people like the the fact that they're now they've had this footage they railroaded innocent people innocent people that didn't have their civil liberties upheld for 2 years many people have already been prosecuted and admitted guilt just because they didn't have the exculpatory evidence that was shown on Tucker Carlson last night That the QAnon shaman was guided around by police for a very long time. Does he he come across as a dangerous, violent individual in that footage to anyone? No, because he wasn't a dangerous person. Delusional, perhaps. Probably. (laughs) But dangerous, no. Violent, no. A violent insurrectionist, also no. The guy was praying for the cops he was saying love you guys good job brother all that shit this guy is like harmless as can possibly be but you have black lives matter protesters and rioters who brutally beat and broke and burned and no no discussion of that i mean there's just a disconnect in the treatment there's A disparate treatment that's occurring between people based off of their political belief system. And once you have that, you don't have a judiciary that will be respected by anybody. And that's where we're at. We have a politicized judiciary on top of everything else that's been politicized in this country. Pandemics and elections and wars. I mean, it's all insane. This is why I lean towards peaceful national divorce. You have people that genuinely believe, genuinely, that Liz Cheney and Adam Schiff and Adam Kinzinger are heroes, truth-tellers. They're patently lying about almost everything. You then have the cop who shot Ashley Babbitt in the neck and was never charged with anything. As far as I know, not even investigated. It's maddening. And as you guys know, I'm not a Republican. I'm just calling balls and strikes here. Like the treatment that that is happening to the January 6th folks is insane. It is insane. And it's unjust and it's immoral and it's un-American. It is. And if you're a libertarian saying, oh, you can't stand with the insurrectionists. They're all idiots. They all love Trump. Fuck you, man. These are our fellow Americans. And they didn't do, the vast majority of them didn't do anything to deserve the treatment that they're receiving. And if you don't have a voice for them, then you don't really believe in liberty either. Because their liberty has been stripped for no fucking good reason. And you ought to be speaking out. And if it if it makes people call you a Trump sycophant, Whatever. It's still the right thing to do. Just as I marched with fucking communists a week ago. (laughs) It's the right thing to do sometimes. Okay? Just follow your inner light. I don't know. It's just sad, man. It's really sad. And it's concerning as hell. But point being, if you have those four people that are held up by as as heroes by, you know, at least a third, maybe half of the country. And then you have another half of the country that sees pretty clearly now that they were deceived to a very high level when it comes to the January 6th issue. And you have innocent, nonviolent people that have been railroaded by the system. How do you come back together from that? If we're not, if we can't share even close to the same version of events and some semblance of truth, There will be no unity to be found. There will be violence. And as I've said a trillion times, I'm trying to avoid violence. I want there to be peace. They're not making that a possibility. They're leading us down a path of conflict. It's so clear. Just as the escalations in Ukraine against Russia are a path towards conflict, not away from it. That's the same kind of dynamic that they're concocting here. And it's important that we call it out because they're going to blame us. They're going to blame us after oppression and radicalizing people into doing something stupid. They're going to turn around and say, look at these domestic terrorists. Unjustified invasion. Same thing they said about Putin. You may not like the analogy. I'm not saying it's a perfect one. But it's the dynamic is similar. And I am not. I do not want to see violence. I'm just telling you, there will be people that lose all hope if they don't believe that the election is is legitimate, if they believe that their compatriots are sitting behind bars unjustifiably. Well, then what comes next? We all know the answer. We all know. So let's do something to avoid that. Why don't we? All right. I'll bring in the guests. Thank you guys for indulging me as I ranted about the January 6th stuff, it, it really does scare the hell out of me. It scares the hell out of me that we just have such uh, you know, differences of opinion when it comes to the truth of what occurs on any given day, even if there's thousands of hours of footage and we still can't conclude the same thing. It's wild to me. The fact that people call you know, Ashley Babbitt some dangerous, you know, violent domestic extremist terrorist is just like, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So I hope cooler heads prevail, man. I really do. Before I bring on my guests, please hit the like, comment, and subscribe. I've got, it looks like I'm going to have two full-time sponsors coming on in April. I am looking for one more. So if you're interested in sponsoring the show, as you guys know, I do about, I mean, on average, I do at least 10,000 impressions per episode. That's either video or download audio. Uh, It's usually much higher than that, sometimes five or 10 times higher than that. So uh, the... You'll be able to reach a lot of people, and I am um, looking for someone who wants to sponsor the show full-time, hopefully for a year, uh, but I would be willing to consider a monthly uh, support system. And, uh, yeah, if you guys are interested, just email me, libertylockdownpodcast at gmail.com, and, uh, yeah share the show around, continue to support my work. If you'd like to over at libertylockdown.locals.com, I will be doing an AMA next week with you guys. You can come in on stream with me and we can shoot the shit. Without further ado, enjoy my interview. Welcome everybody to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. Today I am joined by Keith Knight of the Don't Tread on Anyone podcast, as well as Scott from Fabian Liberty. He's over on Twitch. Thank you guys so much for joining me.
0: I appreciate you having me, Clint. Thanks. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me as well. All right, let's uh, let's get us some fucking red meat to feast on. First up, we have Anthony Fauci caught red-handed. It's been he's been caught red-handed for over a year, as far as anyone who's actually been doing this research. But now it's making the mainstream. Let's watch a little bit of it. Lab leak is a theory with no evidence whatsoever. There is zero evidence that this virus came out of a lab in China. I've heard these conspiracy theories. And like all conspiracy theories, they're just conspiracy theories.
3: Dr. Anthony Fauci said today in an interview with National Geographic, quote, everything about the stepwise evolution over time strongly indicates that this virus evolved in nature and then jumped species. There was a study uh, recently that we can make available to you where a group of highly qualified evolutionary virologists looked at The sequences there and the sequences in uh, bats as they evolve.
1: Who were those highly qualified scientists, Fauci, you fuck? It was actually Jeremy (laughs) Farrar, who is now, because he lied through his goddamn teeth, is now the head scientist of the WHO. The WHO, I might add, who put Peter Daszak of goddamn EcoHealth in charge of the investigation into the Wuhan Institute of Virology. This is a massive motherfucking cover-up, and I am sick of beating around the bush and pretending as if we're the fucking crazy people. Sorry, I should stop sharing that. Uh, Am I wrong about any of this?
0: Not wrong at all. It is incredible (laughs) how everyone in government is constantly failing upwards. Government's here to keep us safe. They don't keep us safe on Pearl Harbor And they get tons of more money and power. They don't keep us safe on 9-11. They get tons of more money and power. (laughs) ATF murders a bunch of innocent churchgoers. And their funding increases. If... The streets are safe? Well, we got to give the government more money as a thank you. And if there's dangerous crime, well, obviously, we need a bigger government. This is what we're always getting with the state in every aspect of society when they don't have this freedom to disassociate with them. It's unbelievable. I can't imagine Fauci would ever go to jail for something like that. Now, if you ever get caught selling goods without a license— Obviously you'll be put in prison. The cops will shoot you if you resist. But Fauci, of course, is gonna be the Prince of Jimmy Fallon show. Stephen Colbert will always still talk about him. The state always fails up. That's why we need libertarianism now more than ever. And it's amazing because originally when COVID started coming around, people say, look, I like the ideas of like libertarianism and doing things voluntarily, but this is a clear-cut case of where we need this the state to step in. And even in this, they screwed up. Even in a war against Al-Qaeda, it's like, okay, well, they took on you know, the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. Obviously, they're going to beat Al-Qaeda. And in 20 years, the Taliban took over after 11 days. In the most basic things, the state still lies, they still steal, and they always make things worse.
1: Well, I'll bring in... So, uh, if, if uh, ho- I could... Hold, hold on 10 seconds. I just yeah, okay. Because he brought up the warrant there, uh, this is so reminiscent, uh, having uh, yet another political figure that's caught red-handed lying through his teeth and then paying no price. Here, listen to real quick. He now uh, is trying,
2: through his illicit procurement network, to acquire the uh, equipment he needs to be able to enrich uranium, aluminum tubes, specifically aluminum tubes. There's a story in the New York Times this morning... Um, this is, uh, I and I want to attribute the Times.
1: I don't want to talk about obviously uh, specific intelligence sources, but it's now public that, in fact, um, he has been seeking to acquire, and we have been able to intercept and prevent him from acquiring through this particular channel um,
3: the kinds of tubes that are necessary to build a centrifuge. In this.
1: Yeah, you get the point. Look, I'll, I'll let you talk. Just give me two seconds to basically conclude my point in 2002 dick cheney cited uh, by the way this is kind of cool he's fucking got an incredible sub stack he's been putting together all these uh videos for me in 2002 dick cheney cited a new york times article planted by his administration to push the iraq wmd lie tell me that that isn't extraordinarily similar to how that how this uh what I believe is a massive psychological operation came to pass, but I know you had other things to say, Scott, so you don't have to respond to that. Yeah. If you don't well,
3: to. no, it's actually, it's actually kind of apropos of what I was going to say, which is that like, one of the things that I, I like to kind of like zoom out on these issues. Right. And what, what really impresses me is how, high time preference can be so addictive in our culture as we Mm. begin to worship the state and so it's like you know i've seen so many people talking about like now people are willing to turn on anthony fauci it's like in 2008 he was taking black orphans and pumping them full of azt and murdering them right like not leishmaniasis on puppies i know that's supposed to be like really bad but like murdering black kids because they didn't have parents right we have completely forgotten what he did during the AIDS epidemic as well, and and what it makes me think of is people are going to forgive this. People are going to let it go. Libertarians won't, right? Um, but a lot of people are going to just brush this over. Let let him let him go. Retire somewhere. Some new face, some new entity, some new non-name will replace him, and the machine will keep churning on. And I, I really do think it is. It really boils down to that kind of that relationship between statism and the state itself and the way that the state says, well, I'll give you social security. So you don't have to think about your family. You don't have to think about your planning. I'll give you, you know, Medicare and Medicaid so that you don't have to think about appropriate insurance plans. You know, I'll, I'll take care of things with wealth redistribution. So you don't have to worry about inflation or investments or owning physical, tangible assets. And so like when I zoom out, I kind of see the psychological effect of that, you know?
1: Take care of that student loan, uh, and you know, want just a, another layer to what you're describing. But I didn't mean to cut you off.
3: No, no, but it's it's just what I mean yeah. to say by that. Like when I when I look at this situation, is like how short our memories have become, and it's not just the psychology of like you know ADHD and cell phones and things like that. But I really do think that one of the biggest problems that we have that 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 show, that kind of rears its head here is that we'll be enraged by these actions. And everyone else will move on to the next story. And mm-hmm. it's because the government's taking care of everything. And if I just vote harder, you know, we'll get the next guy. And meanwhile, Republicans don't realize that they've been losing for 110 years since the Federal Reserve was established in 1913. <laughs> they, they don't get it. that they, they haven't won anything. You've lost for a century.
1: Yeah. Well, I would argue they've been losing since 1860s. But regardless, it's like it's just that's a
3: weird reference point clint like be careful with that one (laughs) i'm gonna say it
1: i don't care (laughs) secession should be allowed um even if you're doing really evil shit like slavery it should still be allowed um well, All no, right,
0: so. no, Clinton, remember, secession is evil domestically, but we need to risk World War III so Ukraine can secede from Russia and <laughs> Taiwan can secede from China. I don't care exactly. how many people die. That secession <laughs> is necessary. Uh, but anyone in Florida trying to secede is an evil white supremacist. I know. Not the Azov Battalion. Those are good guys. You're the bad guy.
1: Clint. It's really astonishing how, how they can make an argument on – Catalyzing and risking nuclear holocaust to defend a secessionary, uh, you know, plot of land. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. I, I, I don't. I really don't know how. And your point about you know time preference and the fact that people have such short-term memories at this point. I mean, I, I think that they've always had kind of a short-term memory, but certainly with the advent of, of the internet and and TikTok and all that shit, it's like it's getting worse. But at the same time, like we now have outlets. That we wouldn't have had in the past to demonstrate and to prove out the corruption in real time, um, for sure. I, I certainly agree with you that like it's it's highly unlikely that someone like Fauci will see, you know, the rest of life, <laughs> of his life behind bars like he ought to. Um, but I'm not at all certain that we will actually just move on. Like I think that this is one of the the, the rare times where the abuse has gotten to be so extreme and so uh, deep. You know, people are really hurt by what transpired over the past three years, and I don't blame them. They should be. Uh, and you know, I. But then to make your argument to devil's advocate, uh, you, you look at the the governors that were the harshest on lockdowns, and they all got reelected. So it's like, I don't fucking know, man. Uh, this is this is why I lead I lean towards the peaceful secession route because it's like the people that wanted to be enslaved they got what they wanted, good and hard, and those that wanted to be free fled to be more free. And like that's that's our dividing line now.
3: Well, so I, you know, one of my big kind of like that like, you know, like one of my main points, apart from like culture war stuff, is the philosophy. And what I see is I do see an, an agreement of like a waking up, a surging of populism. We, we saw Matt Gates, you know, being cheered on, talking about abolishing the FBI and the NSA and the CIA, you know, and 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 that's wonderful. And people were like, well, that's just a lying politician. I said, well, you know, I tried to tell people, I was like, well, that's not. What's important? What's important is even though he's a lying politician, he has to tell those lies because those are the things that are becoming popular. And that's what's important is that the philosophy is changing. The problem is, is that when 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 the system breaks, what people what 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 comes forward is populism. And that's just the elites. Right. are, are, Are wrong. They're bad. People that ally themselves with that are bad. And I recognize that there is kind of like a you know, they're attempting to dominate. But where do they where do they fall after that? And I, I think we all hope they fall into, you know, reading Mises and Rothbard and Hoppe, But, you know, I think it's it, it unfortunately may spin the dialectic forward as demoralization and more people move towards a more kind of like socialist, you know, um, you know, uh, revolutionary mindset. And so. And conservatives, you know, we're already starting to see a bit of a fascist bent in the culture war of the conservatives with some of these trans issues and things. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but uh, I don't know. Keep, keep using those outlets that we do have, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and, and I think that you're right. Like, the, it's a direct product of our shifting the Overton window and like i'm going to include us in that like everybody who's got a voice in yeah. this arena that is popularizing these these otherwise radical completely inconceivable notions like peaceful national divorce like the reason that shit's popular is because we are the people like we are the ones that are po- popularizing these messages and and eventually it trickles into the the zeitgeist and then it becomes part of the populist you know right wing narrative or sometimes even the left wing and and i think that that's tremendous progress i i tend to agree with you that like He's probably not going to follow through. I mean, you have Vivek Ramaswamy, who's uh, you know just announced he's running as well. Yeah. big fan, of, big fan of his because of his um, his activism and his speaking out about ESG when very few people were doing so. Um, what he what he basically said today is like, I'm going to I'm going to reveal all of the corruption i'm going to go after the fbi the cia the deep state all that but the reason it's more it's more powerful when he says it is because trump was the fucking president and he didn't do anything to fight it whereas this guy is you know truly an outsider at least on appearances um and now he's he's kind of mirroring the better aspects of trump i don't know if uh, I, i didn't even really intend to get into a conversation about this but do you guys think that this guy's a real player
3: I don't know that he'll be able to win. That's my opinion. I, Keith Knight, you're probably a little bit better on policy than me. So, I mean, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I think as far as uh, being able to judge someone by uh, what they really get passionate about. And you see he is passionate about things like ESG. He is passionate about explicit racism, which is sometimes called affirmative action. <laughs> uh, th- so his ability to really uh, – th- sympathize with people who have had to bear the cost of a lot of this nonsense. I think that he is totally genuine. The problem is, is that there was such a big incentive for outsiders or the deep state, rather, to get their claws in. I mean, as good as a guy is, you know, someone like, John F. Kennedy is or someone like Dennis Kucinich or Ron Paul with as big of a microphone as those people have, it's still so costly for them to get into this machine that's been perfected for however long, for them to step in and start calling the shots It uh, seems extraordinarily unlikely, but I think he's a great voice as far as I judge people by, are they a net benefit or a net cost to the truth and freedom movement? And I do really like him a lot. I I saw him on real time with Bill Maher. I thought he had a lot of good stuff to say.
3: So I think there's a parallel here to what I believe the LP should be doing more of, right? Which is this Kingmaker status idea. And and, and I think what, one of the problems we have often is we're so obsessed with like winning winner-take-all election, right? And, and every time you talk to someone like Joe Jorgensen or whoever's running for the LP at the time, it's like, do you think you can win? Well, of course I can win, blah, 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 blah. I'm running because I think I can win. And it's like, everyone is sitting there like, no, you're not. Like, we all know you're not going to win, right? Like, that's not what this is about. And so, you know, I look at like the Arizona race, right, with Mark Victors and Blake Masters, and I actually like that. I would have gone a step further, but I think it's something that Vivek should probably look at as well. We have to get into this position where if we're passionate about certain things, you know, let Vivek run, let him do his thing. And when the machine ultimately churns him up, he should go to somebody that looks like they're going to win and he should say, look, I'll endorse you, but I want a public statement about ESG that is strong, specific, and explicit. So that we can call you a fucking liar when you don't do these things. And then I'll give you my 2%, my 6%, my 8%. And I think that's something the LP needs to be doing too, because it really is a war for ideas, a war, a philosophical war. And if we can push and force people into positions where they're kind of backed into a quarter where they've committed themselves to a policy or an idea, then we can call them liars and be like, see, these people were bullshitting you the whole time and really kind of play that long game.
1: No, I think I think that's totally true. And and let me just tell you because I was somewhat involved in the uh, the Blake Masters Mark Victor thing with Dave. Um, what the reason that the LP is incapable of of taking on Kingmaker role uh, or the status of it is that the the people within the LP um, find it to be appalling. <laughs> and yeah. well. Well, I, I agree with you, actually. I think that that was the the prudent play. And had it been done maybe a little bit earlier and had it been done with a little bit more unanimity from the, the actual LP, like the people that constitute the Libertarian Party, uh, I think it, it actually could have potentially made the difference, uh, assuming that election was on the up and up, which I'm not at all sure it was. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I think I think that that's, it's an interesting idea. But like in... In reality, I don't know how you make it happen with people who are so appalled at the mere concept of taking the lesser of two evils. I mean, and, and in fairness, like I, I sympathize with what they're saying. You know, the whole reason that we're libertarians, the whole reason that we vote libertarian when we know we're not going to win is because we're principled people. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like when things get to be so dire, is it worth you know taking a guy who's like 80% us over a guy who's 0% us i i say yes but they say no so i don't know how you get past that any ideas on that keith
0: yeah i don't think we can both say that reagan and stalin were both heads of governments and one government <laughs> was certainly more desirable than the other so uh look there's a government in south korea And there's a government in North Korea. It's okay if you prefer one government over another because some regimes are much more evil than others. When it comes to the concept of, well, can we win? Uh, The thing is, is that when Republicans win the House, the Senate, they have the Supreme Court, they have the presidency, they're still not happy. They're always saying, well, the media wouldn't let me do this. Donald Trump was asked, why didn't you fire Fauci? He said, well, the left would have gone crazy. Why didn't you pardon Julian Assange? Well, there's a lot to to look in there. Uh, Well, we couldn't exactly pull everyone out of Syria because actually the top generals were lying to me about how many troops we had in there, so I couldn't do that either. So even winning when there's a state just consists of a different type of losing. And then the Democrats, of course, the same thing applies. They're like, well, yeah, we've won all this stuff, but white supremacy is such a big problem in our society that we basically can't just, uh, but we don't have uh, the wiggle room to do anything. There's nothing wrong with us wanting the lesser of two evils, but it's still important to say that even when you win in the game of statism, you still end up losing in a massive, massive way. And it gets you to say things that you would almost never ever say in any other circumstance. So when Trump says, I like to take the guns first and then have due process second, people defend that. Tr- Donald Trump was asked about Ghislaine Maxwell, and he said, well, you know, I don't know too much ag- about the case. I knew her in Palm Beach, but I wish her well. Now you could say, well, he didn't know, you know what was going on because he's the president and he's busy. He still has yet to retract this statement. He could have retracted it the next day. So this is what winning looks like when there's a state. As Bastiat told us, it's simply the method by which people seek to live always at the expense of everyone else, and everyone else is doing that. It doesn't have the market economy win-win built-in mechanism that uh, libertarians advocate, which is why we got to privatize everything and tell people it's even in their interest to do this. It's not like they're just doing us a favor. So if I could, if
3: I could maybe couch this a little bit differently, right? I think maybe we have some slight disagreement, but we're mostly of the same vein. You know, peep the name Fabian Liberty. You know, I believe in a Fabian strategy. Um, it's not the lesser of two evils, I don't think. Right? I, I think I think that's a, an, an improper way of, of of framing it, because then you're you're forcing people to be in the position of it's okay to accept evil and lesser evil doesn't make sense with natural law, natural law philosophy. Even the phrase lesser evil is anti-libertarian to even utter that because there's no such thing as lesser evil. It's a, it's a deontological prescription from an ethical framework uh, descriptively, right? It either is evil, it's either good or bad. And so the real thing I would say is it is a form of defensive violence. Like when someone breaks into your home And so the question is, do you have a reasonable belief, because we're not worried about second and third order consequences, do you have a reasonable belief that your vote is going towards someone that is going to reduce the power and size of the state, right? And that this is a model of reducing that violence towards you. It's not about your culture war issue. It's not about, um, you know, anything. So, for example, I live in Virginia right? Um, That's not a secret. I'm not doxing myself. People know. Um, I live in Virginia. Now, do I like Glenn Youngkin? No, I don't fucking like Glenn Youngkin. Did I vote for him? Yeah, I did. Why did I vote for Glenn Youngkin? As a libertarian, as an anarchist, right? People get, get so mad at me. Well, he campaigned on two things. He campaigned on culture war issues that I was kind of okay with, but didn't think he'd get anything done. I was right. And the second thing he campaigned on was abolishing grocery store food tax so that people that were hit hard by inflation would could go to the grocery store and they wouldn't be taxed on their eggs and their milk and their basic ass groceries. He, he was very serious about it and he did it. Now, Am I overall happy that a Republican is governor versus a Democrat is governor? No, but I but I understand that there's already a gun to my head, and I voted for the guy that was going to reduce the size and scope of the state so that philosophically we can move that needle in the correct position. I'm sure Wouldn't many in my be?
1: audience aren't familiar with uh, the Fabian school. If you could just give them the backdrop to your name.
3: Uh, so Fabius Maximus was the first general in Rome that defeated uh, Hannibal. Um, He recognized that he couldn't beat Hannibal, so instead of fighting him toe-to-toe, he did guerrilla warfare and destroyed all of the farmland, um, thus cutting Hannibal, uh, his supply lines, because they had to go through the Alps and he had to retreat. And then later, British socialists created the Fabian Society, which was no shit their coat of arms and their slogan was a wolf in sheep's clothing um because they knew that more welfare most more socialized uh state power or you know lack of denazification if you want to look at it that way um would eventually make socialism and communism more popular and it is our belief that the exact opposite is true that more open markets more libertarianism less taxes will make people feel like huh we got rid of some taxes, and the world didn't burn, and the roads aren't in disarray. In fact, things are doing better, mm-hmm. and, and more of that hopefully pushes that that idea and opens normies up to to our philosophy.
1: Well, thanks thanks for explaining. I just I know I, I have you know, many non-libertarians that are in our, in our audience right now. So it's important For that they sure. understand. Um, I love, I, I actually didn't know that part about the coat of arms with the, <laughs> the actual wolf. Look it stuff. up. So, it's a literal black awesome.
3: wolf with a white sheep hanging over it. And That's these people are so part of Labor Party today, by the way.
1: Well, and, and this actually ties in nicely to a tweet that I, I made this morning or late last night that is going mini viral. Um, just saying that I, you know, I've never met. A a base lefty or a left libertarian or any anybody really of the left that truly deeply understands central banking and and I find it to be kind of like the skeleton key to unlocking you know their minds to the to the concept of of actually freeing the market and actually diminishing state power. Um, why is it that I mean? Uh, there's some obvious answers like public schooling and the fact that they they want this knowledge to be as you know as little discussed as possible. Um, but is there any other reason that people are so disinterested when it comes to probably the, in my opinion, the the underpinning to the most uh, corruption and rot that exists when, uh, within our system, which is the central bank itself, uh, either of you?
0: Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that is so damning that it's so, uh, th- it, there's no psychological have I been uh, advocating the exact opposite of, uh, of everything that I've wanted? Because they say things like, uh, well, monopolies are really bad. And, you know, Amazon, Walmart, big companies, they can do a lot of bad things. Also, the Federal Reserve should have a monopoly on the country's currency. That is such a stark contrast in things that should exist. Another blatant one is... Well, it's really bad if you need a license to vote, because if you need a license, then the poor and the downtrodden will be excluded. Also, if you ever want to open a business or get a job, you should have to have 30 licenses. We need tons of regulation. Uh, I mean, uh, this is an election where (laughs) you get a one in 10 million vote and the votes are allegedly counted and your vote in and of itself doesn't change. But whether or not you get to work the job you want to that has a much bigger effect on representing your preferences a hell of a lot more than a representative in a politician. So it's because the contrast is so stark that they're so willing to say, oh no, that's not me. It's very classic, you see it a lot with parents who have kids that are addicted to drugs, the most obvious piece of evidence, the parents will be like, oh no, that's nothing I have to worry about. My kid would never do that. I know my kid would never do that. Therefore, I don't even have to look into it. It, This can't be some terrible evil thing that was done on Jekyll Island or else I would have heard about it. The psychological cost of admitting that they were wrong about this is so dire. Even the minimum wage, it's like, okay, maybe I advocated some things that, you know, cause people to not get their foot in the door and not get a good job and they're poorer off because of it. But I support welfare. So, you know, that more or less (laughs) cancels out. Okay. How about murdering children in Yemen, Syria, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan? Somalia. How about that? and Mali and Molly and <laughs> the, heaven knows where else Keep they're going. doing secret secret uh, uh, <laughs> operations well Laos Cambodia Dresden there there's there's so many examples so in order for them to really come to uh the reality of what they've advocated the cost is so psychologically high that they almost just never address it uh th- so the very ability to avoid these things is uh, d- does just as much as you know. Schools not uh, talking about them because it's it would create such an insecurity in the mind, especially of the "I'm pro facts, I'm pro science" crowd, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to realize that they've been hoodwinked to this extent is just psychologically brutal.
3: So I, I want to read a quote from someone that the libertarian audience will hate deeply, 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 deeply. Um, Abraham Lincoln in his temperance address. <laughs> okay. But it's a really good quote, all right, yeah. and and I think it really speaks to what Keith Knight says here, piggybacking off. On the contrary, assumed to a dictate. Dicti- to dictate his judgment or to command his action or to mark him as one to be shunned and despised, and he will retreat within himself, close all avenues to his head and his heart, and, through your cause, and though your cause be naked truth itself, transform to the heaviest lance, harder than steel and sharper than steel can be made, and though you throw it with more Herculean force and precision, you shall be no more able to pierce him than to penetrate the hard shell of a tortoise with a rye straw." And, and what I think Keith is really getting at with, it's not just central banking, it's the entire libertarian philosophy and the problem with libertarian philosophy, right? it's not a problem we can fix. The problem is, is that to accept libertarian philosophy is to accept the evil of your own actions, to accept your own aggression, to accept the wrongs that you've advocated for and worse there is no moral prescription for the way that the world should be. You see, the communist, the socialist, the statists, they have someone to blame. The fascist says the immigrant is the problem or the Jew is the problem or the black is the problem. And the communist says that Property itself is the problem. You know, it's, you know, Nietzsche explained it in slave morality and will to power. It's, it's resentment. It's, it's, it's hatred of another where we can collectively come together and the state sells you a moral vision. Welfare is good. Don't you want the old people? You need gun control. Think of the children, right? Every single step of the way, they give you a moral prescription of how the world should be that, that fits with your kind of like your natural kind of Consequentialist tendencies. And libertarianism says, um, well, have you read Hans Hermann Hoppe's 1986 <laughs> argumentation ethics so that you can understand the basis for private property and aggression to the individual? And if you actually advocate for any of these things, you're the bad guy. Um, and so, you know, I don't know that I necessarily know how to fix the situation where libertarianism lacks a moral philosophy going forward but it is, it is what causes that. I think it is what causes people to recoil from the answers that we have. And honestly, there's only two that I see that are congruent with libertarian philosophy as it speaks. And that is a form of objectivism or, you know, Christianity in terms of like Eastern Orthodox Christianity seem to be the only people that are still based at this point. And, and I don't know how you meld and mix that, but I think that's really the the crux. It's not a lack of economic knowledge. It's, even getting there even starting to read that you have to accept that you're evil like a stoic and most people recoil from that especially when another philosophy sells them that they're quote on the right side of history
1: Uh, that's a fantastic explanation um yeah i I think that i don't know if it's like because i I wasn't raised christian i wasn't raised really jesus i wasn't raised religious at all um But I did find meditation and Buddhism and mindfulness in my 20s and carried that forward to today that, you know, I was, and also I was just kind of like, maybe it was just parenting that always had me willing to reflect on my own good and bad deeds and, Mm. you know, really tussle with that, like to actually deal with like, oh, wow, like I've, I've done some really bad things, you know, to people I cared about and, you know. I just feel as if like that's just part of being an adult and part of being a good person is that all of us, you know, fall off the, the path that we'd like to be on from time to time and, and accepting and acknowledging that shouldn't be so challenging that it's like, this is a prerequisite that the vast majority of people can't meet to even begin down the path of considering a libertarian worldview. Mm. Um, I think it kind of yeah, goes well, I mean, to a this deeper way, problem. This,
3: I'll be super quick. I'll be super quick. But name a libertarian who hasn't been through a crucible where they had to look inward and correct them fucking selves. And I'll show you someone in two to three years that is a post-lib, a monarchist, a <laughs> socialist that goes, "I actually used to be a libertarian." Every it never fucking <laughs> fails that you actually have to like. Do a lot of like, I guess from a Jungian perspective, shadow work before mm. you can like come to terms with it and actually adopt this philosophy. And I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm just, you know, as libertarianism should do, I'm just describing, I'm not prescribing. I don't fucking yeah. know.
0: So a couple lessons from the Jimmy Dore show that my friend Connor Freeman and I attended last night. The audience was so cool, like people lining up two hours beforehand, everyone friendly, everyone talking. Um, Jimmy uh, did like a 90-minute set, and then he's reaching uh, towards the end, and he goes, all right, any questions? And I didn't know what to say, so I just raised my hand, and I said, oh my God, what am I going to ask? And then he calls on me, just because we're like front and center. And he goes, yeah, well, what's your question? And I said, "Um, would you support decriminalizing all economic activity between consenting adults? Now, The importance of taking this approach is you're not saying, hey, leftist progressive, take everything you believe, throw it out and replace it with libertarianism. The concept of you know, consenting actions between adults is the central point of the gay marriage argument that those progressives had been making for like 20 years when advocating for things like uh, marriage, uh, homosexual marriage or, uh, or anything like that. So simply giving it to them on different terms that they're not too familiar with. The crowd went silent. Jimmy thought about it and goes, oh, you're just asking probably about prostitution, aren't you? And then the crowd laughs and they all thought it was funny. But he goes, um, yeah, sure, I would support that. Now, he didn't realize that that gives up all of progressivism. The entire state is based on involuntary actions. So by him accepting this premise, something that he heard for the first time delivered in this way, he of course saw the light. When it's not surrounded by propaganda, libertarianism makes a lot of sense. I also worked for the Coctopus for about four and a half years. And the best thing I learned while working with those people is you can uh, differentiate things based on the concept of civilized behavior versus barbaric behavior, and that is the frame through which they generally see things. Are these people, you know, the civilized Israelis, or are they the primitive Palestinians who just blow stuff up and it's it's not really classy and all that other stuff? So when you ask them. The central uh, difference in your philosophy and the people you oppose, civilization versus barbarism, which sounds more civilized? I don't get a penny out of your pocket or a second of your time unless you voluntarily give it to me. Or I get to take your stuff whenever and my employees get to kill you if you try not chipping in to my brilliant schemes. Well, by their own metric, the most barbaric thing is theft, which the state necessarily lives on. So simply by taking things people already believe in and finding the implications as to where those good ideas go and how the state is always counter to something like that, I think that is uh, the best thing we can do to wake people up to the reality of the situation.
1: It's certainly a good entry, but the the issue is that the majority of our opposition, be it left or right, are not interested in uh, consistency when it comes to like the mm. the points that you're making about, um, you know, allowing adults to exchange goods and how that kind of undermines the entire progressive worldview. He's not going to see it that way because he's going to he's going to fire back once you start to say, well, shouldn't we be uh, getting rid of, you know, uh, age limits on employment or minimum wage? He's going to say, no, 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 that that's actually the coercion is coming from uh, the corporations because that, that's how they perceive. That's their worldview. So I'm not sure you can actually crack through that. I, I so wanna, oh, go ahead.
3: I actually I think I have a way of cracking through this that I use sometimes with leftists. Um, and you can steal this argument uh, if you want because you're right most most leftists are particularists, right They're not really utilitarian consequentialists, right Like everything is particular to the circumstances based off of their own subjective preferences at the time and they don't understand establishing moral norms. So what I like to do is I like to I like to give them a thought experiment and you can use a different version of this. but what I say is, okay, Imagine tomorrow there's a a blue wave, and in that blue wave, it's headed by uh, the perfect president. And in your view, and he's going to abolish private insurance, he's going to get rid of all private insurance in the United States of America. And what he's going to do is he's going to establish like Medicare, Medicaid for all, right? Mm -hmm. And just like all the other countries have it. But imagine that the right panics. And they freak out about this and they go back home and they start planning. And, you know, the evil moms for liberty and Michael Knowles all get together. <laughs> and what ends up happening is a red wave comes next election. Right. And in that red wave, do they reinstitute private insurance? Well, when's the last time you the, the government gained power and the Republicans gave it back to people? Well, that's not what's going to happen. Imagine if instead federally they made it illegal for hormone replacement therapy to exist in the United States. So my question to you is when you voted for that democrat when you voted for medicare for all why is it that you wanted to further the trans genocide? Right. And, and and you you place it in a framework where the very power that they give to the people they like Give them a realistic scenario and how that p- power is then utilized against them, and I think it kind of opens that up a little bit. I, I, I and just agree. ask
0: them uh, things that already exist. We, like healthcare for all—that's what government running healthcare is going to give us. Government runs education. Is everyone educated? Government runs the police and military. Are we always kept safe? Government runs the justice system. Is there universal justice that's totally free? So once you crack through the you know, falsehood that just by giving the state a monopoly, everyone then gets everything in an indiscriminatory manner is beyond ridiculous. And they say it all the time. They go, well, we, we don't invest enough in education and we don't invest enough in you know, social workers to stop all the violence and stuff. The, the prescriptions that they already have are already being used. They always act like these are totally new ideas, and they've been around since Franklin Roosevelt. I, I
3: agree. I'll be super quick. Sure. That works for the pragmatic. That's not going to work for the ideologically captured. You have to go after their sacred cows. But like, I do agree that the pragmatic left
1: w- well, would, would be susceptible to that. I'm going to be even more black-pilled than both of you. I, I, if you look at the left when it comes to the FBI in the 1960s and 70s, after they assassinated many of their civil rights uh, heroes, they were extraordinarily opposed to the FBI and understood its corruption deeply. Then mm. fast forward 40 years little bit more and and now you have the vast majority on the left just completely fine with however corrupt the FBI is just because Biden's in power even though inevitably the tide will shift back and some right winger will be in power and it's just like it seems as if we've gotten to a stage where people this is like the time preference thing you were talking about is that you know as long as my guy is the one that's that's wielding this incredibly you know broad sword <laughs> I don't care. I just don't care. They, they're just like, I want the FBI to be as vicious as possible towards the right wing because they're fucking fascist and racist and da, da 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 da. And, you know, and kind of, kind of same with the right. I, I don't think that, like, once they take power, that they're actually going to defang or, or certainly not dismantle the FBI because they're going to use it against their political opponents. And, uh, sorry if I'm coming across hopeless, but I am a little bit when it comes to, um, you know, there actually being a, a real populist uprising that forces the political establishment to do as we demand and to get rid of this incredibly, incredibly corrupt organization who has been corrupt since its inception, but in my opinion, has gotten even more overtly so. But but so what you're describing the
3: 50 years ago, right, I think what's important to recognize I know I'm like a broken record talking about the philosophy of this, but what you're talking about is where is the, the the cultural discussion in terms of the dialectic, right? 50 years ago, those institutions weren't captured um, in terms of that dialectic process. Now we have ESG. Now we have, you know, middle DEI. management and a bu- yeah. right. And, and, and bureaucracy that has been educated by the leftist academics that, you know, instantiated themselves in the sixties. So, the the thing is, is that you have to use an understanding of power, specifically when talking to the left. This is obviously different for the right, but when talking to the to the left, you have to recognize that ideological subversion and 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 look at that philosophically, and then recognize that you need to explain the way that the power is utilized and affected in terms of their values. Because I think ultimately, mm. people have. I think there is a convergence of values that humans have, and then there is a kind of meta-narrative to explain the world and our own chaotic, swirling emotions that they utilize, like I said, like resentment towards those other people. So, yeah, 50 years ago, you know, the FBI wasn't Marcuzian. It wasn't full of, you know, like you had multiple whistleblowers on, on yours, right? And mm-hmm. the, the, ideolo- the ideology is is firmly planted within the FBI, but it's not... It's not the, 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 the intelligentsia, right? Like it's not the kind of like true revolutionaries. It's Marcusean. It's, you know, rainbow capitalism as the left likes to call it, right? It's, 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 it's using these social values that, that capture the oppressed oppressor narrative in such a way that, you know, the same way Stalin did, with, which is, you know, recognizing that we're not going to get communism. What instead we're going to get is we're going to get a state mixed economy based off of the, the philosophy of the idea of giving the workers the means of production, but we're never going to give the workers the means of right. production. And right? we're
1: going to expand the central bank. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, yeah, I, so it's I switched. Those, yeah. Those, those are all, all great points. I, I think that, you know, what I've had success with um because I've kind of become a guy that travels around and explains ESG to a lot of people of different Uh, political walks of life is that, you know, when I'm speaking to the left, I I usually have some amount of success explaining to them that like ESG amounts to uh window dressing on the racism that's in the establishment that you rail against 24 seven, that actually doesn't remedy the things that you think that it's, it's helping with. And I think that if you can actually undermine the, the alleged uh, cure <laughs> when and demonstrate that it's in fact more poison. I think that's that's one thing that you can actually get to them with, um, and I yeah. think that that can be used similarly with the FBI. Sorry, Keith, I'll let you hop in. Man,
0: I was just going to say sometimes blackpilling does work in the opposite direction. Where we're so used to being depressed about all the evil nonsense, when you explain to them. All right. How hard is it for you to convince people to vote for, you know, this or that president? How difficult is it going to be in leftistville when you have to educate everyone on agriculture subsidies, the environment, occupational safety and health administration, foreign policy history, minimum wage, uh, all of the regulatory regimes that exist, uh, central banking? You yourself don't even understand any of these. And you're going to educate all of the masses on how they're going to vote through the state in order to usher in uh, this progressive worldview once they realize the futility of what they're actually trying to do, because that's the very nature of the thing. It's impossible, so they advocate it. This way they can always advocate it. That's why Barack Obama, like one of the most powerful people on the planet, can say with a straight face, we need to worry about equality, because... Under any system, there's always going to be some sort of inequality, whether it's Chairman Mao or President Xi or Joe Biden, inequality is always going to exist. So because it always exists, it's always going to be the platform for them to jump off of once they realize that all of the shortcomings that they're terrified of existing in the voluntary sector – exist many times over in every single thing they advocate, much more so because we can't opt out of funding them when they do a terrible job. So any time the left is saying, well, people just need to get more involved, well, we need more funding for education. Look at how stupid all the celebrities are and they have more education, funding and access than probably anyone ever. People have access to cell phones with internet, and they're still totally stupid with regard (laughs) to vitally important things. And the reason is, it's not some shocking thing, it's rational ignorance. The cost of getting informed on the First World War is extraordinarily high, and the likelihood that your vote is going to change the result of an election because you've studied foreign policy, is like one in ten million. Like well, we said, heaven knows if these votes were even counted. So making them blackpilled about the futility of the philosophy they advocate is also something very promising. I think.
1: Well, I think that's an interesting point. Let me pivot into the Ukraine Russia uh, war um, because I think that the your the point that you're making about that about the you know the high threshold for you know intellectual pain to kind of realize that you've been led astray. Uh, this is one of the instances where, like, someone's own self-survival instinct, I would think, would kick in. That would be a higher draw to them than their own, you know, ego or, or reputational or like just their their the, the grooves that have been permanently laid in their brains. That they would say, "Oh fuck! Like, this is actually potentially going to result in millions, if not billions, of people dying. Maybe I shouldn't just be." stamping my name to the blank check to Ukraine, uh, not to mention all the weaponry and everything else. Um, but that's not happening. And it's not happening, I think, because largely people are still in this this uh, mindset of like, I have to appear to be doing the right thing, TM. You know, like I am, I am with it. I am. I posted the right thing on Instagram. I'm doing all the right things. As long as my group, as long as my in group still accepts me, then I'm. I don't give a fuck if I'm saying things that I don't actually believe in, uh, even if it means that like there's a potential for World War III. I don't know. I if you can't break through to people when like there's a direct, real, real world chance of World War III and nuclear holocaust, and people are still just completely oblivious to it, how the fuck can you break through with those people? I, d- I just don't think it's possible.
0: Well, we can look at it comparatively uh, to how people are passionately supporting the NATO war through Ukraine, using Ukraine as a proxy, compared to how dedicated they were to Afghanistan and Iraq and, you know, to a lesser degree, all of uh, the the other wars that that are going on. But they were so married to those wars, and now we actually have – Like an entire party, the Republicans, who are actually talking about giving a lot less funding and participation. There's not this total blank Not an
1: entire party, but yes, I take your point. Sorry.
0: But there are major voices within uh, this movement, the America Firsters, people like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. and people like Matt Gates, they are they have pretty big microphones. Tucker Carlson, the biggest late night show that there is, is anti funding Ukraine. He's not so good on China, but people division of labor. We yeah, gotta appreciate I'll take it where, what I can get where we where we have it. So I see a lot more skepticism toward this war than I have other ones and The closest nuclear exchange in uh, the 60s or uh, even in the 80s. Thankfully, we still had some pretty wise people. The Soviets actually shot down an aircraft with Congressman Larry McDonald in 1983, and Reagan still didn't go to war. So we can use examples of their own history and their own favorite presidents to show them that restraint is actually beneficial in the long run. And the Soviet empire still came crumbling down because they overexpanded exactly what America's doing at this very point. so um yeah I would it was not accurate for me to say the Republicans I meant to say a whole fraction of yeah, yeah. a party the America firsters with no there. hey look so, if, it, trust it, me it, it, if, so, if all of
1: the Republicans were opposed to this I would be a Republican right now like that's how seriously I take this issue. Um, unfortunately it's probably about 20 <laughs> like like really yeah. um, but that's that's still progress because you know the war on terror it was like three. You know, it's like it is it is moving in our direction, but it's just like because this is such a precarious moment and I just I can't be on the sidelines and be just like, well, we're making progress. It's like progress isn't enough. I need this to stop like this cannot this cannot go forward. And I feel as if there's a lot of like even from the libertarian, there's some performative nature to to talking about this as opposed to like, hey, hey. This is fucking not a movie. Like this is real fucking shit. These are billions of lives that hang in the balance. If we fail in this moment, and it's just like I, I don't know. You and I, uh, Scott and I, got into a fight about this because I, I was willing to to march with communists because I was like this is that's how seriously I'm taking this. I, I would love to hear you know a, a further explanation as to why you found that to be against your principles. So
3: you know I would if if we want to go there, um, Shaw Day. That, that would be my answer. Right. I think when libertarians dilute themselves by working on single policy issues with people who we have the same policy, but the foundation behind those policies are radically different, um, what some of the people occurring... there fucking
1: love Vladimir Putin. <laughs> like that's just right. True. Yeah.
3: Right. Well, I mean, some of the well, very few of the speakers engaged there were pro,
1: kind of pro Putin. No, I know. But I'm I mean, saying I'm saying there was some people in the audience. That's what no, I
3: mean. no, for sure. But well, I mean, to be fair, there's always going to be glowies, right? They're always going to fucking show up. You no, know, it doesn't matter what it is. If you have an event that is against the narrative that the state wants to put forward, there will be federal agents and or people from a different political party that will pretend to be um, you know, the most the most exaggerated form of what your idea can be painted as, you know, like sure. and they will show up with USSR flags and Russian imperial flags. Some of those people though were probably fucking invited. Um, yeah, so I don't and, and like I said, Shaw Day, right? Like, do you know the story of Shaw Day? I do not. So Shaw Day is the understudy to Proudhon. Right. The the mm. first the kind of the father of anarchism, you had the Proudhonians and then you had those that were kind of working with Bakunin along with communists um, during the kind of the first international in Paris. Uh, he fought and clashed against Bakunin and he won kind of like some of the votes of the idea of maintaining private property rights against the other kind of more radical uh, um, you know, anarchists of the time and kind of like the proto communists, if you will, long before the 1917 Re- Russian Revolution. Well, during the Franco-Prussian War, many of the people that were, you know, Perdonian, you know, Proudhonians in that kind of camp of the First International were cut off from going and voting. Um, and so what I, Bacchani- the Bakkenites, I think, or they might have a different name. I, I apologize. Um, what they did, basically, is they voted to murder Day, and then Day's dying words as he was executed by firing squad was, "I will show you how a Republican dies." Um, when we work with communists, I think we see this again with Benjamin Tucker and when Herr most and the German anarchists showed up. We saw this at the Black International. over and over and over again, the philosophical poisoning of the policies that we put forward um, can't we can't discount that. And I think what it does is it poisons our message like, I, I'm not a mad, you know, I'm not mad at anybody that went and went to the anti-war rally. Um, well, I, you know, the anti-funding of Ukraine rally to be, you know, a little bit better, right? I, I'm not mad against Rage Against the Warden Machine at all. It's just my principles are I, I don't want to work with fucking communists because I think what it does is it dilutes the philosophical message, which I think is the most important message. Is it
0: okay to work with people who defend the murder of children in Hiroshima and Dresden?
3: I mean, I think you can, it depends on what you mean by work with, right? Like there's a very big difference. Go, between... go,
0: go to a anti, uh, go to a sco- a pro school choice rally with, or a pro uh, privatization rally with a bunch of Republicans who will defend uh, murdering kids in Dresden and defend nuking Hiroshima. Is that okay? Look, you, it's okay
3: to go to any fucking rally you want to go to, right? Like, I'm not telling you one can't go, but I'm saying if the LP. Right, which I view as a as a vanguard party for the philosophy of libertarianism puts forward events, those events should be from speakers that are relatively philosophically consistent to the philosophy that we're intentionally promulgating. It's very different than a a speaker or a person going to an event and and supporting a policy as opposed to the mm-hmm. vanguard party of the philosophical movement. That is my personal preference. You know, like, look, I'm not shitting on you for. For doing that, or going to that, or speaking to that—that's just where I choose to associate in those events because no, I think the philosophy is more important. Because I think
1: that's how we actually win this fight. But see, this is where this is where we part ways. I I I don't believe that there's any you know abdication of my duty to the philosophy by marching with people that I disagree with otherwise for six hours. You know, it's like I didn't change my worldview one iota by doing so. so Agree. So, like, what is it? What is it that that is damaged in that process? And and is there any cause that you would sacrifice six hours being around these people or the reputational damage that comes with it or whatever, that you would be willing to do so? Because I, to me, there is nothing more important than avoiding World War Three and nuclear war. So it's like, if you're going to ever make a compromise and work with people that you otherwise would not, it seems as if that would be the obvious time to do it.
3: Yeah. So so here's the thing, is, and, I, and I'm not trying to shit on you, I'm just trying to be honest, it sounds a lot like think of the children, right? And, and, and this is what I mean. <laughs> you can go to any event you want to go to, go to any event, speak in any event, support any policy. What I'm specifically talking about is I didn't want personally to support the LP, right, which I view Tactically, as as a vanguard party, that it is very important to me remains philosophically consistent. Doing single but, issue, but why did joint they lose coalitions?
1: Why did they lose their philosophical consistency by trying to prevent world war? I mean that that is like that would seem to be one of the highest callings of the vanguard party of the libertarian party to to do exactly that. I don't I don't see how it's how it's. I'm not in, saying I don't see the incongruence.
3: I'm not saying that the that the LP itself is losing philosophical consistency by working with individuals. What I'm saying is tactically, right, that what this does is it is immediately the left and the and the status narrative was was like we loved it, right? We were all about it. And the first thing I saw was you invited pro russian people here's the fucking flags from these people and but, it was it was a the message was immediately poisoned outside of
1: our community but, because, because you know you know that would have happened hosted regardless but you know that would have yeah, happened but, regardless
3: but angela mccardo could have come back and said fuck you those aren't our people but instead, she has to come out and say, "Well, yeah, some people might have had those views, but they weren't like the LPs people." And like, and, and it comes out soft, and it, and it doesn't keep a strong core message where the philosophy can reach people. I'm not saying that she's losing philosophical grounding by choosing to work with people on a similar platform. I'm saying that strategically, that there is there was there was something that is I don't want to call a failure because I do think it was good in a lot of ways, but there there are failings. Um, you know, I, I guess the tweet was bound to come up. I didn't think it, I didn't think we were that mad at it, though. No,
1: I'm not. I'm not mad. I, I'm just thought that it would be silly to not to not hash it out in a longer form because. Uh, to do so in Texas. Yeah, I it's hate stupid. the Twitter
3: fucking spats. It's like you yeah. don't get any fucking so, context. Like I'm not mad at anybody. I just think it's a bad move because, and like I said, Shawnee was fucking murdered. Tucker's fucking you know anarcho individualism was destroyed by the you but, know the proto ancons. I'm not. Cetera, I'm, not, over and I'm, over I'm again. not like I'm not.
1: <laughs> I'm not turning my back to these people and allowing them to to shank me. You know, like it's a day for sure. You know? It's one March. It's the, the. I just I think that. A lot of the people that had pushback that was similar to yours, um, I just don't, I just think it's a little bit fear almost, which is funny because like I would be accused of fear mongering, like mm. you just said, think of the children um, that like we're so weak that we can't engage with these people and not be poisoned in some fashion. And, and I think that the other reason that it bothers me is like if we're ever to come together with people that aren't in our camp fully. It did like this is just something that I take so seriously. And you know, you could mm. say it's think of you of the children. I take it as like think of humanity. Like, like that's that's how seriously I'm taking this. I think that like we have a real chance of complete destruction of basically the world in the next five years because of this fucking stupid conflict by a bunch of corrupt pieces of garbage. And and I just feel as if like if we had just stuck to purely libertarians and, and we would have been lucky to get a thousand people there. Like, that's just the truth. And and I don't think you would have got the coverage from Tucker Carlson. And I don't think you would have had uh, you know, even even the negative coverage that came from MSNBC. and like it's still like any coverage we expect to get is going to be going to have negative connotations because they fucking despise us. And that's just yeah, like, I mean, like that's I understand that's what it's gonna be
3: can I just last sure. last bit because I know it's a kind of a thing we did on Twitter or whatever. It's not sure. I just want to say, like, look, I don't disagree with your strategy. I just think that that, that mine's right. You know what I mean? Like, like, I just, you know what I mean? Like, like, and what I mean by that is like, I don't think what you're doing is wrong or bad or like someone should denounce you. Right. I just mean to say that, like, I think that, you know, a great man and when I mean great man, I mean it in like a Randian perspective, right. Is, is far more powerful than a big tent. And, and that's just kind of how I feel. I think the, the, I would rather have a thousand libertarians that understand the principle of estoppel the definition of a state versus a government fully can steelman man argumentation ethics and actually understand the appropriate philosophy behind him bordering the uh, uh, private property and don't use silly terms like self-ownership or like Lockean proviso or like homesteading <laughs> or mixing your labor, right? Like that really, like that really understand the philosophy. I'd rather have a thousand of them than 10,000 libertarians that like don't understand it but like call themselves libertarian well, i think
1: within the and lp th- within the lp i think you and i actually would agree on that but i mm-hmm. like just for this particular day i think that it's fine to have people who otherwise i i would probably find reprehensible if i'm being honest sorry we've been going back and forth i gotta get keith in here you got any uh yeah for sure things?
3: i just didn't want to you know i just wanted to be like friendly on it you know what i mean like no, look I'm, i agree yeah. with
1: you i just
0: disagree on the strategy on this So when the explicit goal is to get Americans hating Russians or hating the Chinese or hating the Middle Easterns or hating the rich or women hating men, all of the false divides, some of the best things you can do is show solidarity with the people who the establishment wants you to hate. So when I saw uh, Russian flags there, or I think there was one China flag, I'm not necessarily against anything like that because the U.S. regime, people... Throughout the world, we'll assume that the government represents the people, one of the many terrible things. But if they see Americans showing solidarity with their country and they hear us say, we love Russians, we've met tons of Russian immigrants, we love Russian literature, Russian movies are great, the Russians fought the National Socialists and suffered all these atrocities, and the government that doesn't represent us at all lied in 2016 and said that Putin um, uh, installed Trump as president. They then lied and said that he was paying uh, members of the Taliban to murder uh, members of the American military. And then Joe Biden on the presidential debate said that this laptop Trump is referring to is actually a Russian plant. And 50 intelligence officials have confirmed it. Five directors of the CIA from both parties. When all you have is the U.S. regime constantly provoking war with Russia and then encircling Russia with NATO after James Baker in 1991 promised that NATO wouldn't expand one inch eastward. They then have gotten 14 countries into NATO and then start uh, surrounding Russia with all these lies so they could hopefully have an excuse for regime change. I want the Russian people to know that we love them, that the government does not represent us, the people of China nothing but nice to me. Of all the Chinese people I met, both in person and online, it's not America versus Russia versus China, it's the good people versus President Xi and Zelensky and Putin and Biden. So um, I actually am one of the lone voices who supports waving Russian and uh, Chinese flags to show solidarity at a small cost with all the millions of great people in those countries. If Russia was provoking a war with us and encircling America, I would fucking love to see a bunch of Russians waving American flags. That would really warm my heart.
1: I think that's all That's all a fair point. And, fair. And, and let me also just add... You know, I, I wasn't so bothered by the Russian flags other than exactly what Scott was talking about in terms of optics. I knew I knew that that would be utilized in a in a very unfair fashion. Uh, and and for the record, I spoke to some of the people wearing or holding up the Russian flags. And and some of them were like really pro-Putin and others were just <laughs> like, like, I love, you know, the Russian people. So, like, it was both. And mm-hmm. and then there was a dude with a USSR flag. And I was like, holy fuck, like, what is this guy doing here? Yeah. Um, but but I saw I, one picture of a Russian imperial flag, but I'm like, mm, are yeah. you wearing khakis? Yeah, exactly. So so I was like, you know, I I actually agree with the sentiment, and and I wouldn't have any problem holding up a Russian flag. I think that the better visual representation of my belief system would have been the Ukrainian and the Russian flag held up in tandem, just letting you know like this is unity, or like the American, Russian, and Ukrainian flag, like some some way of of breaking through. Uh, what would have inevitably came from the media and their coverage of it. It's just sad, man. Like, I'll just be straight with you guys. Like, it's sad that that what I experienced on the ground was mm-hmm. beautiful. Like it just genuinely beautiful. Uh, and these are people that I I fiercely disagree with, but many of them there were there, not because of love for communism or anything like that, but just simply because they are fiercely anti-war. And and like i totally disagree with these people when it comes to economics but i found a kinship and a you know a, a mutual respect and appreciation for one another that that existed just for that day you know we can go back to being enemies tomorrow and and i don't think that that's really ever a bad thing you know like i think that that breaking bread with your enemies is kind of a way to defuse and and take more of a non aggression type of lifestyle into the world. You talk about how libertarian is not about you know prescribing some sort of moral framework. Well, I think that like what I did on that day was the moral thing to do was to have the, the highest cause paired with setting my differences aside with people that I might otherwise consider my enemies and saying like there, we can come together in this moment for something that's so beautiful. And I think that that like the, the difference between the online uh, interpretation of that day and mm-hmm. then what I experienced it was just the, the the fucking chasm was so wide. I was like, what is happening here? Um have you ever I been don't wanna, a- Oh go ahead. I, I don't I don't want to belabor the point, right? But I,
3: I want to make it clear that my critique was about was very, was very much so about the LP as a, a Vanguard party and my issues with like working on, on those policies is something I tactically disagree with. Yeah. But also I want to say like, you know, more people should go to more protests because I think it would open them up. You know, like I got started really like, you know, I was a leftist for a very long time and I was kind of dragged cricking, kicking and screaming into libertarianism. Um, but and it funnily enough, it wasn't the economics that did it for me. Um, but re, yeah, which That's is how first. most people are. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was working in government and certain social mm. issues. And I'll oh, do give it the too. whole yeah. story. Um, yeah, I was in the army and stuff like that. And so, you know, but regardless, um, when you go to these protest events, there are a lot of beautiful moments, you know, mm-hmm. like in, in almost all of these. And what the media captures almost every single time is you know, you yeah. have a You have cell phones now, so it's even better where they are just looking for the fight to break out, right? Right. Because, you know, if it bleeds, you know, it leads. And so, you know, every one of these, and I remember it it was definitely something that I remember from Occupy. And I was very young during Occupy, you know, I was a teenager. But nevertheless, you know, I went to quite a few of them, and it was... It was always, you would, you would go to this event and there would be a drum circle and you would like have conversations with people and there'd be some wacky hippies talking like crazy stuff. And then there would be like some dude that's like the goddamn Bilderberg, you know? And you'd be like, all right, man, like, what's up? That's my people. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then you would, you know, as bilateral commission, you know, you'd be like, what the fuck is happening? Right. And then you would go to the media and it would be like, you know, protesters fight police, over like something and like, you know, our, you know, how dare they fight our good, you know, brothers and our and it's be like, what the fuck were we at the same place? And I think that is kind of an unfortunate circumstance of the the legacy media in, in the cathedral, the, the, the captured kind of um, thing that we have here. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the need for kind of controlling, you know, not to steal Antonio Gromsky's, you know, you know, the commie fuck that he was. Um, you know, but like, we do need a countercultural hegemony, but a libertarian one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think that play- shows like this do a great job of that.
1: Well, thank you guys so much for the time. I, uh, I'll, I'll just get out of here with this because of, uh, I actually didn't know that you had been in the army. Um, can you make me feel any better? Am I, am I overstating the risk here? Do you think that this is in fact not, uh, as dire as I, I believe it to be? <laughs>
3: Okay, so my personal opinion is not going to be from my, you know, experience giving vaccines and blood draws as a fucking medic in a, in a clinic. Okay. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, di- I disagree with the possibility of World War III and the bombs. And the reason I disagree is, is it a possibility? Yes, it's always a possibility. But when I look at this situation, I I don't I'm not trying to accuse you of fear mongering or anything. I don't think that's what you're doing. I believe that you're passionate and you want to avoid nuclear war, and we all should. Um, I don't think it lines up with the incentives. When I look at the original kind of plan that Putin had. Um, in, you know, before the UK and the CIA, you know, destroyed it in March and April of 2022. The idea was a provocation without total destruction so that he could secure Crimea and then try and get independence for the Donbass region. And so now that he's in this economic situation, it just it doesn't behoove most of the players, right, um, to blow each other up. What I think they want to do is they want to drag this on so that Russia wants it so that they can force their kind of their natural gas and bleed Europe and have them crawling and, you know, increase their stockpiles and increase trade with China and things of that nature um, and, and, and have this heroic fight you know, with the evil West. And I think the West wants to use this as long as possible to blame inflation, to blame, um, you know, food production and all of these costs on this war, uh, as opposed to, you know, the fact that they're going after farmers in the Netherlands and the fact that they locked us down for two years. And so I just, I, I don't think, you know, if I try and crystal ball the future, I'm looking at the incentives and I don't see the incentives is that anybody actually wants nuclear war. I think the incentives is that they want more power, more excuses to ratchet this kind of pseudo proxy war conflict to constantly make you feel like, oh, well, you have to pay $14 for a half dozen eggs at the grocery store because democracy
1: yeah well and and i mean for the record we we don't actually disagree on that i think that their their incentives don't lead towards nuclear war the the concern is that if if one of the two if one of the two parties is to to prevail in a in a you know dominating fashion a la world war one and you know what what came about after that it's i think that there's a real possibility and and certainly a higher possibility even if it's small than has ever existed in my life or at least since i was an infant um that that there could be a back against the the wall type of you know tyrant that's about to fall who does something uh, crazy and and then can then I it, add something real quick and then it boils down to does the West respond in kind or do they finally say okay he's called our bluff you know he fucking nuked kiev we're not going to nuke back in which case like maybe crisis is averted but if that happens if one flies then the the odds of a world ending cataclysm becomes extraordinarily high probability mm. so those like i'll I, i'll let you add and then keith can close this out if he thinks uh, either of us are being crazy yeah, well, I just
3: want to add, like, the, the fact that we know that this administration has no desire for peace whatsoever is that we are not hardcore protecting Moldova right now. The idea that both the Russians and the Ukrainians are accusing each other of psychological operations and staging fake invasions of Moldova because of ammunition problems in the Ukraine. Um, and the fact that we're because that is like that's. That's it. That's the fucking red line. That's the NATO is fully involved even though the NATO war chief said Ukraine is gonna be fucking in NATO and took all the bargaining chips off the table. Like, there are other things here that are problematic. The whole fucking thing is horrible, but... But the idea that we don't have, like, that we're not, like, heavily in Moldova, like, fuck both of you, you're not invading a NATO ally, like, get the fuck back. And, like, instead, we're just like, oh, is something going to happen in Moldova? Please, we'd love to just, you know, get involved in this war. To me, really shows the complete either incompetence or um, intentional neglect for, you know, joy that that
1: our current administrations are. I I read intentionality, personally.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I thought one of the silver linings was in, I think, November 15th when uh, Zelensky came out along with the Associated Press and said, Vladimir Putin has bombed Poland and killed two civilians, a NATO ally. Turns out Lloyd Austin came out. It was actually Ukraine uh, is where the bomb came from. Just so pathetic. Now, the fact that the administration didn't pounce on that, that is the best evidence for Scott's theory that, look. We want to use this all as an intimidation tactic for more power. A nuclear exchange will actually be real costly. We love picking on Libya and Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan. But nukes, uh, well, that's when- uh, Stop forgetting
3: Somalia, Keith Knight.
0: (laughs) That's when when, uh, the Kissingers of the world are going to uh, have to start bearing the cost when uh, there's actually nuclear uh, weapons on the table. But it's terrifying because under the guise of protecting Poland, Britain declared war against Germany in September of 39. And the Poles paid a huge price of the war that came afterwards. Just as John J. Mearsheimer and Ron Paul said, you know, we think we're helping Ukraine by installing this new democracy with Petro Poroshenko in 2014. They're the ones who we're gonna have to pay if there's ever a war. And it's not like Austria and Britain just went to war originally. It was a war over Serbia. So these things start really small before they get super out of hand. I think uh, Scott has the best uh, white pill as far as uh, where the actual incentives lie. Not really a white pill, but I I guess it is. That's the closest Uh, thing.
1: And and I I mean, for the record, you know, my, my thesis as to to why this is transpiring has been basically a petrodollar battle versus the, the East becoming a, forcing a bipolar, bipolar world order. And, you know, I personally would like to see a bipolar world order because I think that having uh, the U.S. or the West, but it's really the U.S. Uh, being the dominant force is not has not been a net benefit for for the world um, because our empire is is flailing and now they're starting to just basically bomb indiscriminately and and what I think that the reason I've become so activated is because the 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 language about you know unilateral or first strike capacity when it comes to nuclear weapons and how that doesn't necessarily entail a response it's like what the fuck are you talking about you know like everyone knew you don't fire nukes unless you're ready for everyone to die that's the whole premise of mutually assured destruction is that no one fires because everyone realizes that if anyone does everyone dies that's the fucking thing if you stop abiding by that logic then we all die and they're talking about it openly and like I, I'm glad that you don't think I'm fear-mongering because I am... Ap- I mean, I guess I am fear-mongering, but it's because I'm sincerely afraid that we are ruled by lunatics and they don't seem to have a grasp on reality. And I don't feel as if the American people do either. I mean, they have more of an excuse because they're fucking so indoctrinated by their education system and then the media and then Hollywood and then the political establishment. But... They don't have that excuse. These are supposed to be the, the highest levels of power. They're supposed to have fucking earned it through some semblance of meritocracy, and yet they are just fucking lunatics. And they happen to have, you know, 7000 nuclear weapons at their disposal.
3: You know, <laughs> I think it's actually I think it's actually more nefarious than that. Right. okay (laughs) let's go dark (laughs) right like i I honestly think it's more nefarious than that is you know there is always this 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 question within libertarianism Mm -hmm. of like you know is it malice and intentional or is it government incompetence and often government you know or state incompetence i should say um is is covered up by the monopoly power that they hold because they don't actually need to survive in a market but what I would say is I, I think you're leaning in this position towards incompetence. And I think mm-hmm. what I'm doing is I'm leaning towards intentionality and malice. And so I think that's probably where the difference is, is that in that age old question, is this incompetence or is this malice? You're leaning on, well, hey, man, if it's incompetence, we all fucking die. And I'm leaning on, I think it's, I think it's malice and what the real goal here you know, if, if there is so one, because, you know, as George Carlin said, you know, you don't need, uh, you don't need, um, You don't need a conspiracy when like interests align, you know, like when the Council on Foreign Relations and the EU and NATO allies all kind of want the same thing. You don't really need a conspiracy. They're just playing the game. And I think the game really is to drag this war on at the they don't care how many Ukrainian women get raped. They don't care how many children get bombed. They don't care how much uh, how much tax money that isn't theirs they have to take so that Lockheed Martin can get more money. The goal is to bleed our people dry and use this to every advantage that they can to talk about the need for stakeholder capitalism the need to say that this is late stage capitalism and look how it's not working the need to use inflation the need to 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 go look at this war over in ukraine don't pay attention to the new nitrogen emissions that we're instituting in your farming practices as Millions upon millions of African children die simply because food's so expensive that they can ship less food aid to these people
1: over and over and over. Again. You, you don't need to. Com- you don't need to convince me. I think this is certainly plays into the uh, agenda 2030 and the Great Reset language. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just. You know, even if it is malice, like it takes a lot of malice to fire a nuke. So it's like like I I don't know. It goes both ways. So, anyways, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate you guys' time. Appreciate it. Go ahead and tell people where you can follow you, and then we'll have Scott and we'll get out of here.
0: Check out libertarianinstitute.org. I also put together a book that features the great Clint Russell the Voluntarist Handbook. This is a collection of 50 essays, article, and a section of quotes that took me from being a progressive to being an anarcho-capitalist.
1: For the record, my passage was written long after he had already become an anarcho-capitalist. Long Uh, after,
0: but he (laughs) very well articulated uh, my reasoning that governments are constantly at war with their domestic population, and he uh, wrote it beautifully.
1: Well, thank you so much. Uh, Scott, go ahead.
3: Yeah, so um, I bet you guys didn't know that there actually are libertarians on Twitch, uh, mostly because my channel's not going to get recommended to you. Uh, <laughs> so if if you if you like if you're one of those little Gen Z kids that likes to watch and Gold play video games, you're not going to get any fucking video games here. But you should come to Twitch because this is where the fight against lefties is. The entire Twitch politics scene is commies and socialists, and I'm debating them all the fucking time. Uh, You know, give us some love, but Fabian Liberty everywhere. You know, we have a YouTube, you know, if you find us on Twitter, et cetera, I'd really appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me, Clem Russell. It's, it's absolutely.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Scott's great at what he does. And he, uh, he is definitely in the fight. He's in the fray. So make sure you guys go support him over on Twitch at Fabian Liberty, as well as Don't Tread on Anyone. Make sure you guys go subscribe to that as well. Thank you so much, Keith Knight. Thank, thank you so much, Scott. It was a fucking fantastic conversation. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from? And where did it go?